Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Good news, true crime addicts. We've survived another year. Uh, here's a look back. We're going to take a look back this week at, at the year that was 2021. And uh, we're going to have the top 10 true crime stories that rocked the world in 2021 coming up. Um, just a real quick update on, on all things podcast. Um, for those that were asking... Uh, last time I was on, I mentioned that Julie, my wife, had tested positive for COVID. Uh, she quarantined for 10 days. I was the butler. I'd bring up soup and crackers and uh, lots and lots of fluids. And she's testing negative now. Uh, she's feeling much better. Nobody else in the house got it. We've all been vaxxed, double vaxxed. I've been boosted. Uh, so we stayed. we stayed safe. So I hope you have too. Um, I'm going to be back with the regular weekly podcast January 7th, next Friday. But for now, let's get into these top 10 true crime stories that rock the world. Uh, and, and who compiled this list? It was it a bunch of, of uh, detectives and, and journalists? And, no, it was, just, it was just me. But I, I, I think, let me know if you disagree. If you do, send me an email. Um, also, uh, podcasts live or die with subscriptions and so make sure you're subscribing and liking and all that leave a nice review if you want here we go top 10 true crime stories number 10 the murder of sarah everard i didn't get a chance to devote an episode to this case but it is um, one of the most shocking crimes in recent memory these sorts of things don't usually happen in the uk you know, we think of England, we think of London, we, you know, at least from our perch here in America, um, the United States, it seems pretty safe, comparatively. But here's what happened. This took place on the evening of Wednesday, March 3rd, 2021. It involves 33-year-old Sarah Everard. Um, you, hopefully you've seen her pictures online. 
young woman, had the, the world ahead of her, could have done anything. She was leaving her friend's house that night, walking home to Brixton. That's kind of like a hipster community. Um, it's a young uh, uh, professionals area of South London. Sarah herself was working in uh, marketing. She just started a job at, at the uh, Flipside Group. It's a digital PR firm. She was talking to her boyfriend on the way home, passing by lots of dash cams and doorbells. The one thing London, UK, is very good at. Some, some, you know, this this would freak out many here in the United States. Is is uh, the surveillance? There are cameras everywhere. A lot of these cameras caught Sarah on her way home, talking to her boyfriend over the cell phone. She never arrived home though. The next day, her boyfriend reported her missing. Her boyfriend and her, and her family feared the worst. But the details in this crime actually created a new definition of what we would consider the worst. Several dash cams caught 48-year-old police officer Wayne Cousins as he stopped Sarah and arrested her that night for violating COVID protocols, cuffing her, placing her not in a police car, but a rental car. And when I say arrest, I don't mean officially. This, none of this was official, as we, as we came to learn. The case quickly fell apart because of these, these cameras. Wayne was caught. He knew, he knew that the police had him. And he started talking. And the detectives found out that Wayne Cousins had meticulously planned for an attack on a young woman, not necessarily Sarah herself. Any, it seems as though any young woman in that situation would have done for what he had planned. Uh, meticulously planned, but this idiot forgot about the cameras or just didn't care about them. Cousins took Sarah to a different location after he had fake arrested her. There he raped and killed her. I'm not going to go into the details. It's as horrific as you can imagine. He returned some, late, some days later to the scene of the crime where he left her body in an effort to burn her remains so that he could destroy evidence against him. This is according to a report by the BBC. Sarah's body was discovered on land that was nearby property owned by Cousins. Wayne Cousins was arrested six days after the abduction on March 9th. And first he had this elaborate story that he told the police detectives. He said he had stiffed a prostitute. He had uh, not paid a prostitute when he got together with her and her, her pimp had come uh, looking for the money, threatening to harm Cousins' family if he didn't deliver another girl for him to use. It's a made-up story, by the way, as far as we can tell, right? Wayne Cousins admitted to the crime on June 8th, and he was sentenced to a very rare, you know, the justice and, and, um, and punishment are very different in the UK. There's no death penalty, not really. Um, and it's very, very rare for anybody to be sentenced for life in prison over there, but Wayne Cousins got a rare whole life order. He will 
serve the rest of his life in, in prison. That happened on September 29th. The reason he got that rare life sentence in the UK is because the judge found he had violated the trust of the people and made everybody suspicious of the police themselves who are supposed to be protecting us. The Metropolitan Police, the Met, said they would stop deploying loan plain clothes officers and that if anybody was ever stopped by a single officer attempting to arrest them, they should uh, get help immediately. Number nine on the list is the Astro World tragedy. This happened on November 5th. It's a concert in Houston, Texas, put on by uh, organized, not by himself, by his people, but put together by Travis Scott. Scott is a sometime rapper, mostly known as being the arm candy for Kylie Jenner, who rose to fame after her sister started in a popular video some years back. The Astro World concert, there was a crowd of about 50,000 people, and they started pushing toward the stage as Travis Scott arrived and started singing. Ten people died that night from compressive asphyxiation. Over 300 were injured. Travis Scott himself had been in trouble several times before this for inciting concertgoers to uh, act crazy. See, and he seemed to celebrate when some of the concertgoers got injured at his previous concerts. And his excuse was, it's just rave culture, man. Just rave culture. Scott was supposed to go on at 8.45 that night. Didn't get on until about 9 p.m. As he appeared, people began to be moving toward the stage. And when you have that, that many people packed in such a tight space, and you've seen pictures of this, they, they act as like a, a fluid, like... Um, they act as a whole, and you can kind of see, you see people like moving like waves in the ocean. That's how packed they were. And all that force was directed towards the stage, and people down by the stage, they started getting crushed. These people died standing upright. Their chest crushed under so much pressure that they could not expand their diaphragms to catch air. And the blood flow from, to their brain and heart was compromised. They suffocated standing up. Nothing anybody could do. Um, reports are that the crowd devolved into total chaos and anarchy. Bodies were picked up and bodies surfed to the sides where paramedics were unable to resuscitate them. And the show continued for Travis Scott. Even as attendees, attendees began screaming for help, climbing onto speaker towers and barricades, some described in police reports later that the people in the crowds were acting feral, that it was every man for himself. Travis Scott himself told people to give middle fingers if they were ready to rage as people were dying in front of him. And he, he finished his set. Finished his set. Ending with a performance with Drake. He and Drake ended the night on stage as if as if nothing bad were going on. Drake, by the way, who likes to slide into the DMs of very young women. Um, 
like uh, Eleven from Stranger Things. Yeah, check it out. Google that. Anyway, um, he finished his set and ended around 10.08 p.m. And then he and Drake, Drake and uh, their entourages went to Dave & Buster's and played some video games. Crazy, crazy story. Uh, number eight on the list of top ten true crime stories that rocked the world in 2021, Kyle Rittenhouse. Kyle Rittenhouse is number eight. On August 23rd, 2020, Kenosha, Wisconsin Police Officer Rustin Chesky, this is how it all started, Chesky start, shot a 29-year-old black man named Jacob Blake in the back. Blake had a warrant out for his arrest for third-degree sexual assault. Chesky fired seven times. Chesky said he thought he was going to be stabbed as Blake was running away from him. Black Lives Matters uh, protested immediately. People involved with that group and that, that cause. And uh, then you've got the night, comes the night of August 25th, 2020. 17-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse's mother drops him off. Kyle crosses a state line from Illinois, by the way. He picks up uh, an AR-15-style rifle, the gun of choice for school shooters, that was uh, bought with his money, but bought purchased by a, an older friend who could do that. Kyle himself was too young to own that type of weapon. And um, there's a confrontation with protesters. Kyle shot several people, killing Joseph Rosenbaum and Anthony Huber and wounding Gage Grosskreutz. No doubt about it, 17-year-old kid who shouldn't have been there, fired and shot at and killed two people, wounding a third. Kyle also attended a Trump rally in Des Moines a few months prior to the shootings. He and his friend, 19-year-old Dominic David Black, uh, armed themselves with rifles, according to one report, and went to that, that business. They went to a car dealership. The dealership has suffered $1.5 million in arson damage the previous night during the protests. And Rittenhouse, that was his reason for being there. Um, now, this... this this case is weird. You know, obviously, you get the sense that I'm not for guns in the United States. I think it causes too many of these true crime stories. Uh, but at the same time, I, I, as I was reporting on this case earlier this year, I disagreed with the fact that Kyle Rittenhouse was being tried as an adult. He's 17 years old. He should have been tried as a kid. Um, didn't like that part. Uh, anyways, he was tried and he was found not guilty on all charges and has since become kind of a spokesperson, favorite guest for Republican um, concerts and conventions and things like that. Uh, number seven was the abduction and return of Cleo Smith. This story comes at us from Western Australia. Cleo and her family were from this town called Carnivan. They went on a weekend camping trip with uh, Cleo's mother and stepfather at Blowhole's campsite in McLeod. The parents woke up around 6 a.m. October 16th, and Cleo was gone. I can't imagine anything worse. 
than being somewhere that you're unfamiliar with, you're camping, you're vacationing with your kid, and you wake up and they're gone. Cleo was gone. Her sleeping bag was gone too. The tent was unzipped. Position was too high for it to have been Cleo who unzipped and got out. Parents, of course, called the police at first. The police treated this as like a recovery operation, thinking she had wandered into the ocean, maybe. Wandered out into the uh, surrounding wilderness. Quickly became apparent that something more was going on. Online sleuths started to look at the mother and stepfather the way they will, trying to find somebody to blame. Then the early morning hours, uh, a couple days later... Oh, oh, I'm sorry. No, this was this was quite a while later. A couple months later, the police ask, actually rescued Cleo from the home of 36-year-old Tyrants Daryl Kelly. This is a guy who lived near Cleo's family in Carnivan. Cleo was okay. When the police got inside Terrence's house, they found her playing with toys in a lighted room. And you think the worst, right? You think what this guy possibly was doing, what he needed her for, the torture uh, involved. That's where our minds go. This one might be different, though, guys. It's still the stuff of nightmares. Uh, Terrence Kelly, guy with some problems. Um, he was a, uh, a, a 36-year-old adult, and he was fascinated collecting and obsessed with brats uh, type of doll, according to the Sydney Morning Herald. Kind of looked like Michael Jackson, this guy. Uh, the later Michael Jackson. Inside of his house was a doll room. A room, you've seen these rooms where you've got people collecting like Star Wars stuff. Well, this this room was packed with dolls. In an uh, interview with a newspaper, Terrence said, I, I love taking my dolls for drives around and doing their hair and taking selfies in public. Nothing beats chilling at home with my Bratz dolls. That might have been a, a social media post that he did actually. Um, so the thought is, maybe this wasn't an entirely sexual deviant uh, act meant for potential murder, but that he took Cleo because he wanted a living doll. Number six, the sixth uh, biggest true crime story of 2021, I believe, should be the Oxford High School shootings. There are many, you know. There's so many to pick from, to choose from, these school shootings. Did you know, in 2021, there were 149 shootings at schools just in this year, 32 deaths, just in the United States. The Oxford High School shooting, though, this happened November 30th. 15-year-old Ethan Crumbly was arrested after the school shooting in Michigan that left four dead and seven injured. Among the dead, Hannah St. Juliana. Tate Meyer, Madison Baldwin, and Justin Schilling. And uh, this didn't happen out of the blue. Uh, a few hours before this happened, there were, and the day before, there were two meetings with Ethan's parents. Teachers were concerned about his behavior. Everybody knew this guy was escalating. Parents could care less. They bought him a gun. CNN reported that school surveillance showed Crumbly with a backpack going into the bathroom, coming out with a backpack, without the backpack, gun in hand, starts firing, walking down the hallway at methodical pace. Uh, 
When the police arrives, he sets down his gun and surrenders. His weapon was a 9mm Sig Sauer semi-automatic, not the AR-15 style rifle. His dad bought it for him four days before the shooting. That was the one that was closest, easiest for him to use. And he was charged as an adult. Um, counts of murder and terrorism. Again, I don't think any 15-year-old should be tried as an adult, not because their crimes aren't serious, but um, because they technically can't make and be held accountable for these crazy decisions. If you look into how the brain works, it doesn't fully develop until you're 25. Um, perhaps most of the blame should be to the people that provided them with the gun and the motivation and upbringing to, to make this happen. That's just me, though. So uh, we're going to be gone for about two and two. I'll be right back with the five top stories, true crime stories of 2021. Uh, see you soon. And we're back with the 10 true crime stories that rocked the world in 2021. And number five, my personal favorite, Ted Conrad. Oh, boy. I'd been chasing this guy for like 15 years. Uh, the marshals have been chasing had had been chasing them for for fifty. Um, crazy, interesting case. Ted Conrad was a twenty year old kid back in nineteen sixty nine, and kind of a very handsome young man. Uh, fancied himself a new Steve McQueen. Would go see the Thomas Crown Affair every other day. Went there dozens of times, fell in love with the movie, wanted to be Thomas Crown. And he was working in the vault at Society National Bank downtown Cleveland. And he meticulously planned, not a robbery as, as they say in some of the newspapers this year. Spoiler alert, we find Ted. Um, it wasn't a robbery, it was technically embezzlement because he worked there. But anyways, uh, what he did was uh, one day he walked to lunch, came back with a brown paper bag, and the security guard's like, Hey, Ted, what's in the bag? And he opened it up and showed them that it was a bottle of whiskey, Canadian Club whiskey, and a uh, sandwich for lunch. And, and he explained that it was his birthday. In fact, it was his birthday. Everybody was excited that weekend, by the way. It was the weekend we were going to go to the moon for the first time. Men landing on the moon. The Moon Watch, 1969. Anyway, Ted goes back to work, goes back into the vault, takes out the whiskey, takes out the sandwich, puts a little over $200,000 in cash in the brown paper bag, and that way, at the end of the day, he walks out of the bank, and the security guard doesn't even bother to check in the paper bag because he knows it's whiskey and sandwich. Brilliant plan. Very simple. It's a Friday afternoon. We're on the moon. Ted has a head start. He knows that nobody's going to find him missing until Monday. In fact, that's true. Uh, they, then the bank finds out, oh my God, he took all this money. And the chase begins. But by that time, he's long gone. Nobody's, nobody saw him since. There were The last time he was spotted was uh, in Hawaii, just uh, I think a month later by an elderly couple who happened to be vacationing there from the greater Cleveland area. But then, then nobody had seen him since. And uh, I became fascinated with this re this case as a reporter. 
several years ago. I've written about Ted a number of times. Always wanted to find him. I thought I had. Uh, there was this episode of Anthony Bourdain's No Reservations that took place in Hawaii, and there was this old man who wouldn't come off a volcano. He looked a lot like an older Ted Conrad. I turned in that tip, and uh turned out not to be him. So on Friday, November 12th, 2021... U.S. Marshals announced that they had finally caught up with Ted Conrad, that I, they identified Conrad. <clears throat> they identified him as a man named Thomas Randell, who had died from lung cancer the previous May, May of 2021. He's from Linfield, Massachusetts, and he had been uh, around the Boston area pretty much ever since he left. He had married a woman. He had had a daughter. He worked for a time as a semi-pro golfer and a car salesman. And apparently on his deathbed, right before he died in May, he told his wife for the first time who he really was and, and what happened. And he wrote his own obituary, and I'm pretty sure this is how everything was pieced together by the marshals, although I don't have that verified or confirmed. But uh, Ted Conrad wrote his own obituary as Thomas Randell because he knew he was going to die, and it listed his mother's real name. So if I had had a simple Google search, when that obituary popped up, it would have rang bells. So maybe that's simply what happened. Um, anyways, the U.S. Marshals tracked down, and they actually went out there, knocked on the door, and talked to his wife, and she confirmed everything. And uh, that is the end of Ted Conrad. He, he, he beat him, in a way. You know, he spent 50 years looking behind his, over his shoulder, but uh, he managed to, to stay, to stay gone. Um, the family still has not spoken to any reporters. Hopefully one day we'll get their story. Number four on the list, the uh, murder of Gabby Petito. This was probably the biggest case of 2020 if you're looking just on social media. This case was insane, and it went away as quickly as it as it showed up. Gabby Petito, she left with her boyfriend. This is uh, Laundry. You remember Laundry? Um, left with her boyfriend July second. They were planning a four month adventure. They were part of this van life culture where they'd live out of a van and just kind of cruise the United States. Uh, then Laundry returned home to Florida without her on September first. Everybody was like, "Where's Gabby?" And uh, he was he was uh, he was tight lipped. Then September nineteenth, Gabby's remains were found at Bridger Teton National Forest. And then um, not long after that, Laundry's remains were found in a Florida swamp. He he left his parents' place where he was kind of under hiding, swarmed by the media and armchair sleuths that got out of their armchairs, and. Uh, disappeared. Everybody was looking for him for a couple weeks. Then they found his body in a Florida swamp. Parents found the body, by the way. Kind of interesting. A lawyer told CNN that Brian Laundrie's parents were informed by the FBI that they wanted to visit the park to search for their kid. Sounds like they knew exactly where to look. Police met, met them there. His father, Chris, ventured into the woods. Roberta walked down the trail. Chris located a bag. He took so he said reporters shouldn't get this. 
Shortly after that, police found a backpack, and then uh, nearby they found the remains of their son. Remains were likely there for a while. They used DNA to eventually identify him conclusively as Brian Laundrie, and the story kind of died from there. Um, eventually, even the protesters left from outside the Laundrie's home. Um, this is a weird case. It, it showed us a lot of bad things about social media. Um, you know, a lot of people blame this on the missing white woman syndrome. Why is she getting so much attention? I, I, I personally don't think it had anything to do with that. I don't personally believe missing white woman syndrome even exists, but that's another discussion. Uh, the reason it was so popular easily was because Gabby and, and her boyfriend, Brian, uh, were influencers on social media and the media reporters are, are lazy by nature and if you can give us a ton of material, all those photos and videos from Instagram, that'll make a story. That, 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 those are good visuals. That's why it was so popular. Uh, not, not necessarily that they were white. Gross case, though, uh, is very apparent as the coverage was ongoing. If you looked on social media, uh, so many men wish they were Brian Laundrie and could have, quote, quote, treated her better. And uh, women were reading that case, imagining them, themselves as, as Gabby put upon by a Brian Laundry. So um, w probably the biggest case on social media of t 2021 and also um, a terrible mirror that was held up to what social media is. So influential case by far. Number three, everything to do with Alex Murdaugh. Oh, my God. Oh my god, if you haven't caught up on this case, you need to immediately. This is one of those cases that keeps on giving. It's stranger the closer you look at it. The more onion peels you peel away. It's got that nougaty center of grossness. It's just it's just bizarre. Um, Alex Murdaugh was from the 14th District of South Carolina. That's a, that's a uh, judicial district, by the way. This is a part of South Carolina known as the Low Country. It's southern S South Carolina. This is a slaveholder country where slaves used to produce uh, rice and made millions for their white slaveholders. Uh, the Murdaws are a family that have uh, controlled that region for nearly 100 years. The Murdaws have been top lawman in that 14th district for nearly 100 years. Uh, that would be, I believe, Alex's father, grandfather, great-grandfather, all uh, like the DA, the prosecutor, the top prosecutor for that, that, uh, that area. <coughs> uh, this story concerns uh, Alex Murdaugh himself, who was a lawyer as well. His wife, Maggie... And their two sons, Buster and Paul. Now, they were like royalty in this area of South Carolina. Remember, they've, you know, the family has controlled that region for nearly 100 years. Everybody knows the Murdoch's down there. And their troubles began in February of 2019. And that's when Alex's son, Paul, and a few of his friends, including 19-year-old Mallory Beach, took a boat out uh, partying. They stopped at a gas station for booze, then a bar, got some more shots... Paul seems to have been using his brother's ID about because he was underage. 
got in the boat, was piloting the boat about 2.30 a.m., crashed the boat into a bridge, Mallory, Mallory fell out and drowned. Paul was charged with three felonies. And because of his connection, some say he was it's probably the reason he was not arrested that night. He was turned over to his uh, family. Uh, but three felonies, kind of a big deal. Uh, that's when things start to go south for the Murdaws. In early June 2021, perhaps due to this tragedy, uh, as Paul was awaiting trial for Mallory Beach's death, his mother Maggie arranged for an audit of their personal finances, probably to find out how much money they had in reserve for the upcoming trial. Well, that audit seems to have been a bad idea because just a couple days later on June 7th, Maggie and Paul were shot to death at the family's hunting lodge. Uh, nobody's been arrested for that crime yet. Multiple guns were used, according to the police. So now you've got just Alex Murdaugh and his son Buster left in that family. Um, the case of, against Paul, of course, was dropped because he was dead. Later that month, the police received information that caused them to reopen the investigation of the 2015 death of one Stephen Smith. Stephen Smith was a classmate of Buster's. That's Alex's other son. And uh, Stephen Smith was found dead on the side of the road. Cause of death, blunt force trauma. Maybe a hit and run. Also, police reopened an investigation into the death of Gloria Satterfield, a woman who used to be the Murdaugh's housekeeper before she died on their property after a suspicious fall. Uh, it didn't help so much that Alex took the insurance settlement money, never gave it to Gloria's kids. September 4th, Alex called the police to say he'd been attacked when his car broke down on the side of the road. For a second, it looked like it had been a hit, like somebody was after Alex. He was shot in the head and survived. But wait, it gets weirder. Turns out that Alex allegedly hired a hitman to kill himself so that $10 million from his life insurance would be left behind for Buster, the remaining Murdaugh. Uh, didn't work out so well. And uh, that's the case that the police are building against him. Uh, there's a tr tremendous... Uh, podcast on the Murdaugh murders called the Murdaugh murders. It's a podcast by Mandy Matney. Check it out. If you're interested in this case, it's, it's crazy. It's certainly going to make a movie one day. Uh, the one thing that creeps me the hell out, are Alex Murdaugh's eyes. If you haven't seen him, Google a picture of this guy. Every single picture of Alex Murdaugh, you look at his eyes, there's like nothing there. It's like, I think of Quint's speech from jaws right like he had doll's eyes right they look like doll's eyes or like those eyes from uh the other mother from Coraline. there's just nothing there it's so creepy um not to say he's he's guilty of anything everybody remains innocent until proven guilty but uh oh my god there's a lot of smoke around this guy number two second biggest case 2021 the uh, death of Helena Hutchins, 
This happened on Thursday, October 21st, on the set of the movie Rust, which was filming in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, that's when Alec Baldwin had a gun in his hand for a shot. They were going over the shot. He turns the gun towards the cinematographer, young Helena Hutchins, and he claims he did not pull the trigger. Something happened. The gun went off, and there was a live round in the gun. Somebody had placed a live round in that gun. To this day, we don't know exactly how that happened. We know there were live bullets on the set. This came out a couple weeks later. And apparently the person that was in charge of the guns would allow people to shoot with these guns using live bullets in between takes or when they were off or, or whatever. But there should never, ever, ever be live rounds on set. Uh, Helena Hutchins was shot, died later that day. Director Joel Souza was wounded. There's a bullet found in his shoulder that likely passed through Helena. Uh, Helena herself, she grew up in a Russian city called Murmansk on a Soviet military base, and she came a long, long way. What happened? Whose fault is it? We're still trying to figure that out. Um, a lot of suspicion falls on First Assistant Director David Hall's and armorer Hannah Gutierrez. According to interviews, Hall uh, at the time shouted, cold gun when he handed it to Baldwin. Cold gun means there's no live rounds. It's been checked. It's safe. Baldwin, by many accounts, uh, should not be held culpable, but uh, police are still investigating. Uh, both Halls and Gutierrez have prior reports of unprofessional behavior with guns on set. There were walkouts earlier that day, other crew people leaving, protesting their treatment and pay. Um, this is the worst thing to happen on a movie set in many, many years. It reminds me a little bit of what happened during the shoot of the Twilight Zone movie back in 1982 uh, when John Landis was directing and a uh, helicopter that they were using for the scene lost control and the blades clipped and killed legendary actor Vic Morrow and child actors Micah Din Lee and Renee Shinyi Chen. Uh, that'll be a bigger case in 2021 as we get closer to any sort of culpability or trials, things like that. And here it is, the number one story, the biggest true crime story of 2021 that rocked the world, beginning very early on in 2021. Of course, talking about the uh, insurrection that occurred on January 6th, 2021. Let's back up a bit in case you don't remember how all this started. December 18th, 2020, then-President Donald Trump tweeted out, Big protest in D.C. on January 6th. Be there. We'll be wild. The Electoral College, Electoral College had just voted when he tweeted that out. Uh, confirming that Biden had been elected president. What was happening on January 6th? Well, that's when Congress was meeting to certify the Electoral College's vote, to certify the, the people's vote, and make it completely official that Biden would be the next serving president of the United States. Uh, there was a meeting in the White House before January 6th um, about overturning the election. Ohio's own Jim Jordan was there. 
Jim Jordan, who uh, came from Ohio State University. I, I recommend you Google Jim Jordan in Ohio State. Uh, January 6th, uh, like I said, was the day that Congress was meeting to certify the vote. It uh, also was the day that March to Save America was going to happen. That's the name of the rally. Women for Trump secured the, the first permit for that day. And then the white supremacist and domestic terrorist organizations sorry, uh, jumped aboard, decided to make it a, uh, a holiday of their own. Online threads discussing the rally uh, hinted at violence uh, the day before on January 5th. There was a comment that said, quote, go there ready for war. We get our president or we die. Rally itself, part of the rally took place at Freedom Plaza. Speakers there included Alex Jones, Michael Flynn, and Roger Stone. Roger Stone, by the way, there's an excellent documentary uh, you, you can find on him. I think it's Netflix, maybe Hulu. I think Netflix, maybe. But that guy has had his fingers in every dirty thing that's happened in politics in like the last 50 years, all the way back to Nixon. Um, you know, I'm sure... I don't know the, the guy's full story, but if you're looking for, like, if I were to write a weird, like, fantasy, quasi-messing-with-history novel or something about this, and you're looking to cast the devil, like, disguised as a human, that just has his fingers and just kind of manipulating everything in the wings, Roger Stone's a good candidate. Right around noon on January 6th, Trump addressed the crowd behind bullet, a bulletproof shield... And he said uh, he will never concede. He will never concede that he lost the election. He said they should walk down to the Capitol. Said he would be with them, but he he, he didn't go with them. He went back to the White House. Uh, and he said, if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. Supporters started chanting, take the Capitol, storm the Capitol. And Trump went back to the White House to watch everything play out on TV. At about 12.45, some police uh, officers were alerted to pipe bombs around the D.C. area. They were probably planted the night before. There was a pipe bomb by the Democratic National Committee's office. Later on, it's kind of believed that these uh, pipe bombs were to be used as a diversion to take police away from the Capitol. It sure worked. Around 1 p.m., the crowd starts sweeping past barricades and officers at the Capitol building. Some people began spraying police with pepper spray and other chemicals, hitting them with pipes, using ropes and ladders to climb up the building. At 1.58 p.m., Capitol Police removed a barricade on the northeast side of the Capitol. That allowed hundreds of people to stream inside. Others broke through windows to climb inside. Outside, people, prote uh, protesters, terrorists, uh, whatever you want to call them, they popped tires of police cars. They wrote... Pelosi is Satan on a windshield. Altogether, more than 800 people breached the Capitol building. They marched in with plastic handcuffs, stun guns, Confederate flags, Nazi emblems. It was a total breakdown of our republic. Played out on TV and social media. It's the most surreal thing I have ever seen in real time. Um, it makes me sick to this day. 
uh, whoever was involved. And I'm not even picking sides. Just the fact that 800 people stormed the Capitol and tried to take over our, our government and everything that it's about. To see Nazi emblems inside that Capitol building, Confederate flags inside the Capitol building. Outside, people started ch chanting, hang Mike Pence, because he, he had come out and said he would not overturn the election as Trump wanted him to do. Members of the United States Senate barely escaped. They left the chambers moments before rioters came in and overtook the room. You saw the picture of that, like, Minotaur guy standing at the podium. Pelosi was there. Or not Pelosi. Sorry. She's house. Um, senators were in that room. Mike Pence was there, like, a minute before that guy came in. The... Uh, House of Representatives, they continued while the invasion was happening. And that's that's the good stuff. Like, these people didn't run. The, the Capitol itself was being invaded, and they were continuing their business. Eventually, there was a standoff at the front door of the chamber of the House where federal agents drew their guns on the, the people that were breaking into the domestic terrorists that had come in through the Capitol. The, the chamber of the House of Representatives was barricaded with furniture. How bad does it have to get when the House of Representatives have barricaded their doors with furniture? By 6 p.m., Capitol Police had cleared the building of rioters. 50, uh, I'm sorry, 42-year-old Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick was sprayed in the face with pepper spray that day. Um, he ended up having two strokes after this and eventually died. Uh, so that's how the year began. We're coming out of it a little worse for wear, but with hopes that 2022 will be a little bit better, that we'll have fewer school shootings. No insurrections, please. Uh, and just overall... Hopefully we begin treating each other better now that we're coming out of this uh, long, dark tea time of the soul with the with the COVID um, and everything happening there. So uh, it'd be great if there weren't enough crazy stories to make up a top 10 next year. Anyways, food for thought. Uh, I will be back next week with our regularly scheduled program of just what's interesting in the last week in crime. Not necessarily all bad news. I like to sprinkle in, we're going to have updates on genetic genealogy, which is going to continue to be a lifesaver this year. We're going to identify some John and Jane Does. We're going to track down some bad guys. Um, I'm going to tell you some, some books to read, some podcasts to listen to. But thank you uh, for continuing to listen, and I'll see you next week. True Crime This Week is a Fearful Symmetry production. Our theme music is Trash Town Boogie by Mr. Smith, used under a Creative Commons license for use in this show. All sources are listed in the liner notes at the end of this episode. If you like the cut of my jib, please check out my other podcast, Philosophy of Crime. Unless quoted directly from a source, all content should be considered the opinion of the host. That's me, James Renner. See you next week. <laughs>